So what's up, everybody? Today we have a very, very special interview here with uh, Joel Salatin. If you don't know him yet, you 100% should. He's probably America's most famous farmer. He uh, identifies as, let me get this right, a Christian libertarian environmentalist capitalist lunatic farmer. Is that right, Joel? You got it 100%. Well, good, good on you, as they say in Australia. You've written, you've written, uh, what, dozens of books now, you know, sold <laughs> thousands and thousands of copies. You've been on, you know, major news networks, the Joe Rogan podcast a couple times, if, I, if I'm right, right? That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So the, the way this came about was I actually emailed Joel because what we're doing is we're starting a database of regenerative farms around the country and possibly around the world to where we can connect consumers looking to eat better, eat healthier with farms that are looking to produce more and grow and just, you know, get away from the grocery store. So um, the way that this works is people can go on, type in their zip code when they go to the farm locator on there, and it'll connect them with farms that produce. If they're looking for grass-fed beef, they click grass-fed beef and the farms that are near them will come up. Now, what happens if uh, a farm is farther away you know, say 500 miles away is the closest one, because sometimes there's these food deserts that, uh, you know, you just can't get to it. We'll address that later. But uh, Joel, any uh, any thoughts about trying to connect, you know, more rural, you know, regenerative farms to the urban and suburban uh, sectors? Well, I would just say that, uh, first of all, Ryan, thanks. Thank you for, for whatever, for innovating in this space. I mean, uh, anything that Anything that I love that you're willing to say, uh, take it out of the supermarket, because all my life uh, in my interviews, generally people say, "Okay, I get it. So how do I find your stuff in the supermarket? And I'm sitting here saying, I don't think we should have a supermarket, you know. And and so so to talk to somebody who gets that who understands, you know, we had uh, years ago, we had the nine vice presidents of Sam's Club here. They were on a they were on a sustainable a sustainability mission. It was you know it was like a, a you know a personal enrichment journey, and they were all here. And uh, so we were one of their stops. And of course, I gave them a farm tour and stuff. And so we're <clears throat> a local caterer makes some box lunches. We're in there eating them in the in the in our sales building. They're all gathered around the big table there. And and uh, one of them asked, said, "Well, so so how do we get your stuff in you know in Sam's Club in Walmart in you know in our whole network?" I said, well, uh, the first thing you have to do is allow a truck smaller than a tractor trailer to back up to your dock. End of discussion. Nobody asked anymore. They weren't interested. They, 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 they could not even, they could not conceive of a truck smaller than a tractor trailer backing up to their dock. I mean, it, it, it didn't fit their Model. It, it just didn't fit their their model right and i think the average consumer the average person who means well who has a big heart who who wants to make changes um they don't understand these kinds of this isn't a government regulation problem this this is a this is a a, a, a private enterprise this is just a business model problem and and until we actually understand that the 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 actual the actual supermarket model is itself an impediment to authentic food. We're going to just chase our tails trying to figure out how to overcome these inherent 
these inherent hurdles within this system. It's 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 a system system that, that doesn't fit, and uh, and so I, I really appreciate you leading with that and and helping people to understand what we want is is we want to we want to uh, circumvent. So what's happened is what's ha- the, the beauty. What you're tapping into, Ryan, is as as you know, you know, 500 years ago, if you wanted to know. Who had the good beef? Who had the good green beans? Who had the good, you know, whatever uh, spaghetti? I guess they had spaghetti 500 years ago. I don't know. Anyway, if you wanted to know, there, there was there was a village voice. You know, the, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker lived in the village, and you had you know the local whatever rumor mill. Uh, it, it, it became a self vetting system. You want to know who the good who the good shoemaker was? You want to know who the good uh, uh, the best milk was, you know, people knew the provenance and they, and they talked right in the village voice. Well, what happened is as we entered the industrial economy in the you know early 1900s, as we moved into the industrial economy, that butcher, baker, candlestick maker scaled to a size that didn't fit in a rural area. It, they, it became a factory. And so what happened was that these these became industrial scale with no trespassing signs, razor wire and guard booths. And people started looking in there saying, I wonder what they're doing in there. And 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 uh, and there was no there was no direct communication with the farmer, the processor, the the marketer. It was just this big kind of opaque thing. Well, then people started getting scared. Oh, no. Uh, how can I trust these people? So they start asking for government oversight. I want an agency to check on the farmers. I want somebody to check on the processors. I want somebody to check on the slaughterhouse. I want somebody to check on the, you know, the retail establishment. And and as that as that that fear from from ignorance from opaqueness enveloped the country, it simply uh, it simply aided this whole industrial system. Well, what's happened is that in the last 30 years with the internet, the internet has ultimately democratized the conversation again, so that we are now literally going back 500 years, the village voice is now a global voice, but it's one on one, we we are, as you and I are sitting here looking at each other, you know, we're, we're a 1000 miles apart from each other. But we're, we're looking at each other in the eye in real time having a conversation. And that is a restoration of the accountability of the butcher baker and candlestick maker embedded in the village. But we're do, we can do it now across space, across across distance, but in in almost in time that's more real than the village voice of 500 years ago. And that is now opening up a new opportunity for direct commerce to happen just like happened in the cobbler shop and the butcher shop of 500 years ago is now happening because we can look at each other in the eye. We can, we can, we can take a, a, a virtual drone tour of the farm. We can actually build a relationship now uh, electronically that, that, that has brought back to the food, the food and farm conversation, the level of authenticity and information and understanding that that um, that formed the that formed the protection and the security and safety of the food system 500 years ago. That's a really cool thing. 
the internet is the best thing to happen for the for real food really since yeah. it started now yeah. we're uh, here to talk a little bit about chickens okay and you, you the chicken pastured chicken is what you really got got started with back when you first started to farm am i correct yeah that's right i had my first chickens when i was 10 years old oh wow so let me ask you this, Joel, what, if, if someone doesn't know what pastured chicken is, what would you tell them it is? Well, it's a chicken that is, that is moved, uh, routinely daily, preferably onto fresh grass so that the, so that the bird actually has their, their, uh, a new place to lounge on. So they're not lounging in their poop. They have a uh, fresh, a uh, fresh salad bar that's fresh every day. That's not soiled from them stepping on it, walking on it or whatever. And, uh, and, and so the, the movement of the animal is the whole trick to the, the pastured poultry model. It's why we don't call it free range. Free range generally is, is now used as a, you know, they just have access to a little strip somewhere or some non-rotated yard. It turns into a dirt pile and there's no vegetation there. The key here is that there is green, that there is a green salad bar, a salad bar for those chickens to enjoy every day. What does that salad bar do for the chicken? It does for the chicken what, um, you know, what a, a supplement can do for the, for the human. You know, um, chickens, unlike herb, herbivores, of course, they can live on they can live on forage. A chicken is an omnivore. They can't. Uh, chicken, you know, the best they can do is is maybe, you know, 15, maybe 20% in a perfect situation uh, of their diet comes can come from forage. The rest has to be a much higher energy, you know, of seed or higher protein like a worm or a grasshopper or something. And so I I look at the the grass for the chicken like this is really a tonic. It's it's not the mainstay of the diet. It's a tonic. But as you know and I know, if if you're taking a, a supplement, um, it doesn't take much of a supplement as a percentage of your diet to have a big effect. You know, vitamin C, for example, or or you know some some supplemental uh, uh, nutrition. It doesn't take much, and so so that's the way the grass is. We we look at it as a supplement, but what does it do? It completely uh, changes the fat profile and the nutritional profile and the immunological, the immunological hardiness of, of the chicken. Back, you might remember, Ryan, back, uh, what was it, maybe seven or eight years ago when we had that huge um, high path avian influenza outbreak through Cambodia, Thailand, you know, Laos and all that, and it knocked on the door of Great Britain because uh, it came up through Europe there. And uh, Great Britain did a study at that time where uh, they found that if a, if a chicken got two blades of fresh grass a day, they were immune to the avian influenza. Wow. And, uh, you know, you, you would think that that would make big news that, you know, everybody, hey, let, let, let's get this done. But, uh, of course, it, it, you know, in a factory farm, in a, in a factory industrial concentration uh, situation, you know, that, that's pretty much impossible. But uh, there, there's a huge immunological function, um, you know, getting some green material. That's that's amazing. Now, you like you said, chickens aren't um, vegetarians. They're not herbivores. They're they're omnivores. Now, I was uh, looking on the Whole Foods website, just scrolling through the other day, just to see what's what's out there and what people think is healthy and what's being promoted as healthy. 
on there, one of their chickens that it's right there on the label on there, it says vegetarian diet. What, do, what would you say to that? It's not, we, we both know that it, that's not the ideal diet for a chicken, but what would you say the ideal diet is for the chicken? Where do you think it could get that protein from a different source? Well, generally that protein will come from some sort of, uh, you know, a pea or normally soybeans or soybean extract um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but, but in nature, in nature, a chicken will eat a fair amount of, of, of animal stuff. Uh, I mean, they'll eat you. <laughs> if you go in there and lie down, they'll eat you, you know? Uh, so we, we tell our, we tell our, our kindergartners when they come to the farm and visit, we say, okay, kids, you, you know, we're glad you're in with the chickens, but keep moving, you know, wiggle, wiggle around a little bit, you know, so they know you're alive. Um, uh, so, so, you know, most, uh, you know, um, or chickens like ours, you know, they get some fish meal, uh, of course, they get bugs and worms and things like that that they pick up in the field. So, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can do it with a vegetarian diet, but it's not, it certainly isn't a natural diet, you know, for the, for the omnivore. They're used to, yeah, no, they're used to eating a lot of, a lot more variety than just a vegetarian. Because the chicken, it, 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 it's meant to act like the, like the birds do when they follow the cows. And they pick up a bunch of different, um, you know, flies and maggots and everything. And you use it as a pasture sanitation system as well. The, your egg mobiles, not so much your, your broilers, right? Right. The egg, so the egg mobiles, uh, those are, those are portable hen houses mm -hmm. with laying chickens, not, not okay. meat chickens, laying chickens in them that follow the cows and the, uh, the chickens scratch through the cow patties and eat out the, the fly larva. And, and, in, and all that in doing that, they spread the cow patty out. So instead of occupying a, a little tiny space, um, you know, that's more than the soil can handle in that spot, it occupies a great big space and tends to spread the, fer you know, the fertilizer out. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff that the chickens do behind the cows. Not only that, but the cows, as they graze, you know, they have now opened up, opened up the swords. Now the, the grasshoppers and crickets and things like that are now exposed. Well, the chickens go along and they, they grab all those, those exposed, you know, insects and, um, and, and turn that into eggs as well. That's amazing. That's the, and that's the way it should be rather than being, you know, this free range in the lots that you were talking about. Now, let me ask you this, Joel, because the average consumer, they're just, they might just be finding out about this right now. They might be finding out, hey, you know what? This is a different way. This is a different model than the chicken houses with 25,000 chickens in one of them, okay? Why would they spend more money uh, and a little bit more effort to go get a chicken like this raised on pasture than one, say, you know, it's sold at Walmart? Well, there's a, several reasons. Uh, the, the most important one is nutritional. Uh, you, so, um, several years ago, mother earth news, uh, did a, they, they took 12 of us around the country, 12 of us farmers that were doing pastured eggs. And we submitted our eggs to a, um, to like a, a, a 10 step nutrient profile from one of these, you know, um, nutrition labs. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> the, so, you know, they, they didn't do a full, you know, a full nutrient profile. They just picked about, you know, eight or 10 really important ones uh, and sent them in. 
And um, so I'll just give you one from our eggs. So the, the USDA, if you go to the grocery store, you'll see a, um, you know, a, a, a nutrition label on there and it'll tell you, it'll have about six or seven things. One of them is uh, riboflavin, or I'm sorry, folic acid, folic acid. And uh, the, the regular USDA um, uh, you know, analysis of regular eggs is about 48 micrograms of folic acid per egg. Now, folic acid is really important for, for uh, pregnant women. That's, that's like the, you know, it's, it's a really important um, uh, nutrient. So the regular egg in the supermarket, the USDA official label is 48 micrograms per egg. Our eggs, <laughs> our eggs averaged 1,038 micrograms per egg. And, and you can go down the vitamin, vitamin A, D, and, and, and these, these uh, you know, folic acid, these things. And, you know, it, it, it isn't just like 10% or 20%. It's, it's magnitudes of higher nutrition in these pastured eggs. And so, um, so the first thing I would tell a person is, uh, if you want, if you want your kids to be healthy, get them better fuel. Okay, you you wouldn't you wouldn't put garbage fuel in your in your you know uh, minivan. Well, don't put garbage fuel in your in your body in your kids. So the first one is you know uh, better nutrition. Um, another reason is <clears throat> because um, these these animals are better ecologically. They're not. They're not overrunning the ecosystem with manure. Uh, they're, they're embedded within the ecological nest at a, at a scale, at a numbers rate that allows, them, that, that allows all their waste to be metabolized as a blessing and not a curse. You know, anything, any, any production model that turns, um, that turns, the gift of, of manure uh, that's supposed to be the fertility engine of the earth that, that turns that into a liability should be a suspect food system. It, 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 doesn't, have, it doesn't have ecological integrity. It, it doesn't balance out. And I'd say you know, the, the third reason is simply, do you want to get, if, if, if we believe that we want a society in which you know, Jane can express her Janeness, and Tom can express his Tomness, and I'll say, and Ryan can express his Ryanness. Okay, if we want that kind of society, then I would suggest that the the starting point, eth ethically and philosophically, morally, for that kind of society starts with the ones who are least defense uh, least defensible in our in our culture, and that would be our animals. So let's let's start by appreciating we want to get our eggs from a farm that ex that allows a chicken or that 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 enables a chicken to fully express its chickenness because that's the kind of society that we want to allow our our little Janie to express Janieness and our little you know um Tom to express his Tomness. It, it starts that ethical framework starts at a fundamental level you, you don't you don't despise the chickenness of chickens and view chickens as just inanimate particles of protoplasmic structure and then expect to honor the dignity of the human Th those two um those two have to go hand in hand
Now, what is it that about the chicken houses that don't allow the chicken to express its chickenness of the chicken? What is it that's so that's so bad about them? Well, the of course the the biggest of the industrial chicken houses, the chickens are actually in little battery cages. So imagine imagine nine chickens in a space that's about um, 14 to 15 inches by 22 inches. We're talking about we're talking about uh, uh, roughly four chickens per 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 sheet of of uh, notebook paper. So take a sheet of notebook paper. Imagine putting three or four chickens on that, and that's where they live their entire life. Entire life. They never get fresh air. They never see the sunshine. They never see a blade of green grass. They're, they're in a cage. They, they can't scratch anything. They can't peck anything. They don't even have a nest to lay their eggs. They just have to squat and drop the egg on, a, on the wire cage. It rolls down to a conveyor belt that sends it out. And so, and these chickens are constantly, the, the air they're breathing is fecal particulate because everything is dusty and everything is, you know, chickens don't have a bathroom. They just go. And so, so you have all this, this particulate, this dust in the air that then comes into their, uh, uh, you know, nasal passages and, um, and actually uh, abrades, there's abrasions along their mucous membranes where the, this toxic fecal particulate acts like sandpaper uh, against the little cilia in their, uh, in their um, uh, nasal passages. So anyway, it's kind of gross. Hope nobody's eating a sandwich here. Certainly, I hope nobody's eating uh, a, a, an industrial egg sandwich while I'm describing this. But um, but from that standpoint, uh, it's a uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty um, should I say a, an aggressively violent um, you know management kind of style uh, toward the chicken. So let, let's compare what what the 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 way the chickens are in the chicken houses to co to compare them to your chick chickens out in the field. Now the chicken in the chicken houses, there's what up to 25,000 or more chickens per house. Oh yeah. In, in, the, in, yeah in, a, in a battery. Yeah. In a battery house where these cages are stacked one on each other, though sometimes they'll be stacked for, you know, four or five tiers high. Uh, yeah. There might be, there might be a uh, hundred thousand birds in one house. Wow. Uh, th this house is, you know, the size of a football field with, you know, multi-layers of chickens in there. Um, and, you know, they, they never turn the lights off because they don't want, well, they do turn the lights off, but, but they, they, they turn the lights on uh, every day. They increase the daylight, increase the daylight to stimulate production because, you know, day length has a lot to do with the hormonal function of the chicken. And, the and so these chickens, these chickens, um, lay like you know supercharged and they actually you know lay themselves to death they actually you know cannibalize their cannibalize the calcium in their legs they you know they they just it's just the way it is so yeah it's it's a pretty horrendous thing whereas our chickens are are allowed to be you know out they scratch in the dirt they eat grass uh they have a lot more room to run you know like 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 square feet uh, of room to run and they get fresh air sunshine and it, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, um, a, a, another kind of a, a litmus test is um, does, a, does a class of kindergartners want to stay in your production model or they want to leave? You take a class of kindergartners into one of these factory houses, 
man, they're going to, they're going to be coming out with their noses and their mouths. And, you know, they're going to be, ah, I can't stand this. They're going to, you know, leave in a, in a heartbeat. They come out to our field and with the chickens and they can sit there with the chickens for two hours and just enjoy the, you know, the ambiance and the antics of the chickens. Um, so, you know, the, the one, the, the one thing, the one thing that ours, um, uh, you know, have a problem with versus the ones in the confinement house is predation. The one thing that they can do in the confinement house is they can make th those chickens uh, will never get touched by a hawk or, a, you know, an eagle or, or a fox or anything. They're not going to, they're not going to be touched by, by a predator. So ours sometimes get picked off by a predator. All right. It's just, this is just natural. the way life is. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just the way yeah. it is. Um, but but the you know the, the philosophical response to that because I, I've had people in the industry take me to task. You know um, what what do you think what do you think expressing chickenness of a chicken is? Well, I think I think if a chicken uh, if a chicken can be taken by a predator, then uh, then it's dead and it certainly can't express its chickenness anymore. You know, it's, it's this kind of argument, but. I would simply flip that around and say, as a human, do you want, do you want to live a completely risk-free life? Because mm -hmm. if you do, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a cubicle over here uh, that's got uh, um, uh, bubble wrap, bubble wrap and an oxygen tank. And I can put you in that, you know, that, that, that bubble uh, tank with oxygen and intravenous feeding and uh, and you'll never stub your toe. Uh, nobody will ever, you know, say a bad word to you. Nobody will ever laugh about the size of your nose or the size of your ears. You know, if you if you want to live that kind of life, you know, you can do that in a, you know, in a, in a bubble wrap <laughs> a capsule. OK, but very few people want that. We, 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 we inherently understand, you know, mentally and emotionally that. That if there if if you have freedom, you also have risks from that freedom. You can't you can't have freedom without some risk. And so most of us are are very uh, happy to accept a little risk in order to have freedom to to do some things. And so that's my argument to the chicken thing. Yep, yeah, some of them do get picked off. There is a risk there, but most of them by by long shot most of them don't. And we do everything we can to make sure they don't. And, um, and, and for most of them, it's a, you know, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, experience. Now your meat chickens, they, they're, they're not out in the field so much to where the predators can get them. You have them in a uh, specific type of shelters, right? Can you right. Talk so the meat chickens, yeah, sure. Sure. So the meat chickens, uh, they're in, they're in a completely enclosed, floorless, bottomless shelters. Mm -hmm. uh they're two they're two feet tall eight uh 10 feet wide and 12 feet long and so we put about we put about 75 chickens and of course they go out at they're tiny they're they go out in there you know like they're two weeks old uh they go in so they're little itty bitty chicks i mean all 75 of them can fit in a ring you know about whatever you know two feet across when they go out so they got lots of room and we move them every day across the field in these in these portable shelters with a little dolly we just slip it under the end and just move it along and we can move we can move 4500 chickens uh one person can move 4500 chickens in 60 minutes without starting an engine just with this simple little dolly the beauty of this is that those chickens are completely enclosed 
So we have almost no predator. Not that we never have a predator, but but um, uh, there's there's it, it, we, to my knowledge, in 40 years, we've only had uh, one aerial predator that ever got in. Um, and that's the uh, you know in 40 years raising however million chickens, uh, that's not very big. That's not a very big loss. So the, the the complete enclosure protects them from predation. It protects them from wind, and it also makes sure that every day they get a completely fresh, unsoiled uh, salad bar that nobody walked on yesterday, nobody pooped on yesterday. Uh, it's a completely fresh, brand new salad bar, and that stimulates you know stimulates them to eat more of the green material. So it's a lot more management intensive rather than just, you know, throw, you know, a chickens in a chicken house and make sure that the feed's full and, you know, call out the dead ones, you know, uh, it's, yeah. you, you're out there every day with them. You're spending lots of time with them. You're checking on them and, you know, they, they got something new every day. So is it that management time that raises the price of it? That way, you know, people can maybe wrap their head around it a little bit more. Yeah, well, there are a couple. There are a couple. Thank you for the for the price question. I mean, yeah, the, the two most common questions I get everywhere I go is, can we afford this, and can can it, this actually feed the world? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so you're you know you're hitting on the price uh, issue, and so the the price issue is um, is several things. One is that we pay a lot more for our feed than the industry does because we're using local GMO free grain. So we're so where the industry pays you know, maybe uh, I'm going to say, you know, 14 cents a pound, we pay almost 30 cents a pound. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so our feed cost is almost double, you know, what the, what the industry uh, cost is. So that, that, that's one, that's one big thing. Uh, the second big thing is, as you mentioned, labor. So it's management intensive. So we, we uh, strategically exchange um, high depreciation and high energy costs uh, you know uh, uh and high capitalization costs we exchange that for high for high labor costs because ours takes you know feet on the ground eyes on the birds a lot more uh management per bird and and the uh, the american uh, tax code um incentivizes capitalization for material but it disincentivizes capitalization for people um in other words, we don't we don't have we don't have minimum wage logs for concrete. We don't have minimum wage prices for lumber. We don't have minimum wage prices for 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 steel. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to say we you know we don't want to pay a decent wage. I'm just I'm just saying that that if if you abuse if you abuse equipment, you can write it off quicker and and it becomes um, a, a business expense. But 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 you you. You can't abuse a person, and you know you wouldn't want to. But all I'm suggesting is that that the 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 person the person versus equipment uh, exchange is not just an even exchange. There's a, there's a whole list of rules over here about people that don't exist for material. And so when we trade people for material, it, it's not it's not a it's not an even trade. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a kind of a it's a stack. It's a stack deck. Now, and so that's, what you were saying that's earlier too, it almost seems like it, it, we can't afford not to eat this way because of all the different just junk that's in the you know the 
that's in the feed that's in everything. So you guys are using non-GMO feed. That's a, that's a big deal to a lot of people and should be a big deal to most people actually. Now, can you source that from local farms? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful story uh, because a lot of people don't live near GMO, you know, free. It's hard to get GMO free uh, feed. Maybe you don't have a mill nearby or whatever. So when GMOs came in uh, years and years ago, we went to the mill that we'd been using and said, you know, look, we don't want to use GMOs. Uh, would you, you know, source this for us so we don't have that? Of course, and and not of course, but for whatever reason, they just laughed at me and said, oh, come on, there's there's no difference. You're stupid, whatever. And so I went searching for a source and I found a, um, a Mennonite guy, actually, uh, about, I don't know, 15 miles away who had an old 1950 style hammer mill mixer grinder in his, they, they used to make their own chicken feed on the farm. The thing was in cobwebs. They hadn't used it for a decade. You know, it was obsolete and they didn't use it. I went to him, I asked him, I said, would you be willing to grind and mix some GMO free feed for me? And he jumped at the chance because uh, he wanted, he, he wanted to use that old, that old uh, mill facility that was just in cobwebs and to be able to leverage it and actually make some money on it, that was pretty cool, you know? So he said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's fire that thing up. So we got that thing uh, fired up and going, and that little mill now uh, has morphed and morphed and morphed and morphed to where, you know, they are a, a, a multi-million dollar uh, mill here. They supply literally the lion's share of the GMO-free feed for the entire Mid-Atlantic region. They they deliver out to like uh, 200, 300 miles away with uh, some big trucks. And uh, it's just a wonderful story. And and they're injecting all of that financial uh, incentive into the non-GMO community. So we're touching thousands and thousands of acres now uh, growing uh, GMO free that would not be growing it otherwise. It's really quite a, it's that's huge. really quite that's a wonderful awesome story. That's, a, that's, that's really, that is a cool story. Now, the other question that you said that you get all the time is, can you feed the world in this model? Okay. And some people say yes. Some people say no. Does it necessarily matter if you can to the people that, that want to eat this way? Is that, is that a concern that people should be, you know, saying, oh, should, should we, you know, try and feed the world because, and, and do it in a way of, you know, the chicken houses, or should it be more of a, do what's best for you and everybody should eat, you know, focus on yourself rather than focus on the rest of the world. What would you say? What's a better way of looking at it? Yeah. Well, you certainly have a very charitable way of, um, of, of, you know, dealing with the argument. Um, I simply, I'm not as nuanced as you are, Ryan. Sorry. I just come at it quick, like a, you know, like, like a, like a, 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 you know, halfback running a football. And uh, I say, I say, absolutely, we can feed the world this way. And in fact, it's the only way that actually can feed the world this uh, uh, over long term. Um, so, so how do you do that? So here, the thing you have to realize is when the, when the industry takes a picture of their factory chicken house with, you know, whatever, uh, 50,000 chickens in it, and they say, wow, look how much we're producing in this little small footprint. They don't picture take a picture of square miles of 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 uh, crop ground of production, corn and soybeans and wheat and and whatever. They don't take a picture of that to to add that to the footprint. They they 
they take this picture of the house and look how efficient we are. But but that house is not a standalone entity. It's completely dependent on on thousands of acres of 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 feedstocks coming into the house. So my answer is, if our chickens never ate a blade of grass, if 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 they were no more efficient than what's in the factory farm, it doesn't take one more acre of of crop ground to feed my chicken as it does one in a Tyson chicken house. It, it, it's the same amount of feed. The only difference is, the only difference is in our system, um, it's it, it, in our system, the chickens are spread, uh, shall we say, um, democratically uh, all over the countryside, as opposed to being concentrated in one little spot in a way that allows our manure to be a blessing on the landscape instead of a toxic element, a, a toxic liability within the landscape. And so, and so uh, can we feed the world this way? Absolutely. It would just take a lot more farmers, which I don't think is a negative. Who wants, who wants to not have farmers? It would take, it would take much more uh, direct, you know, local, uh, you know, uh, production. And let's agree, maybe the United States would not export all of its chicken. And instead, other countries, instead of us buying uh, Argentine, cheap Argentina grain to feed our Tyson chickens to export to China, maybe instead, uh, Argentina would raise their own chickens for their people, China would raise their chickens for their people, and the US would raise chickens for our people. And, and so, you know, in the big, in the big scheme of things, ultimately, no culture is ever secure in food unless it can feed itself. Any culture that doesn't feed itself is not secure. So ultimately, the United States can't be, can't be the one who's feeding the world. We have to feed ourselves and get out of everybody else's backyard and let them feed themselves. There's not a, there's not a, a country in the world that can't feed itself. Um, now, you know, I still like my banana, all right? I'm not gonna raise bananas, all right? So, so I'm, not, I'm not talking about every single commodity here. I'm just saying in general, in general. Local, the more um, local, the better. Yeah, the more, lo the, the more local, the better. And, and the, more, the more regional, you know, I mean, the fact that Hawaii, Hawaii cannot butcher one cow in Hawaii it has to export its cows on live barges to the U.S. mainland and then import boxes of beef. It's insane. It's insane. You know. Uh, so so no, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, you know, and now now you know the U.S. is sending chicken to to China to be cut up and then reimported as chicken. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, the the chickens, okay? Some people might say that's not a regenerative thing. Some people might say, you know, oh, you're taking in a lot of, you know, you're, you're bringing in a lot of, uh, you know, grains to the farm. You know, it, it, you're not, um, you know, the, the best way to do it is uh, local, but, you know, now you guys uh, are shipping now. Is that is that yes, still uh, the case? Yeah. Yep. No, we, we talk about in this perfect world, you know, the, you could grow bananas in Virginia. You could, we could grow, you know, 
papayas in Texas. We can, you know, in this perfect world, it would be nice to keep everything as local as possible. But sometimes that's just not the case. You know, that's why we're, we're doing this whole map, this whole database to where people can get stuff as local as possible. But if some people right now looking at the map, the closest farm to them is 500 miles away. You guys are now shipping. OK, I know you right. you took a little bit of heat for that in uh, the beginning, because I know in uh, in Food Inc., Michael Pollan goes and says, you know, I was trying to get a sh chicken ship yeah. to me and Joel wouldn't do it. Now, I, I get it. I would 100% if I was in your position, ship all over the world if I could, because we you're putting a product into people's hands that they want. Explain the, you know, uh, the just uh, the little bit of pushback that you've gotten. Can you, yeah, you know, the, the rash? Okay, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's a great, uh, great question. Glad, glad you're digging into that. So the, the truth is, um, as you mentioned, it, it isn't a, it is not a perfect world, and um, and we, we can't always have our druthers. I mean, uh, um, you know, I would like to live in a world where half of my income is not paid in taxes. You know, <laughs> so. So, yeah. so, you know, we, we have, we have these, these things in our life that, that are, uh, that create a context that's not always uh, friendly to what we, what we would like to do in our own paradise. And so the best answer I know, uh, Ryan, to give you on this is that, you know, years and years ago, uh, shipping was extremely expensive and arduous and, and we had plenty of customers locally. And we were, you know, cultivating those customers, and that was great. We we did make deliveries, and yeah, you know, we did all sorts of things. But what happened uh, about oh less less than ten years ago, you know, seven or eight years ago, suddenly we started having customers that were long term customers say, "I don't want to come out there and put my car on a dirt road. You know, it might get a, a rock ding. You know, and and so I can just sit in my bed and click and get uh, chickens delivered to my doorstep." you know, from butcher box or whatever. Okay. From, and, and, and so, uh, so what happened is that we started, we started realizing that the, the, the market, the, the market platform was changing. Mm -hmm. And as I told my team, I said, look, nostalgia is great. We love nostalgia, but we don't, we don't want to be in defending nostalgia the day after it becomes obsolete. Okay. There's a balance here. And so you might be familiar with a little business book, a little business book is a little, little short book. Um, the title is who moved my cheese. And, and it's a, it's a little parable about two mice. They wake up every morning and they go through this maze and they find their cheese. Well, one morning they wake up and they go through the maze and their cheese isn't there. So now they have to they have to rediscover they have to re go through the maze and figure out a new way to get to their cheese, and so it, the whole allegory is how things change. You know, we're, we're we're bopping along, everything's going great, and then suddenly there's some you know black swan event or some some innovation that completely moves our cheese, and suddenly what we've been doing becomes obsolete, and that's what happened to us. We started we started ha finding it more and more difficult. To get people to come to the farm, to get people to order, uh, to be able to deliver to them. I mean, shoot, they wouldn't even come to a drop point. Some of them, uh, because you know, it. it I, I, I mean, I got to leave the house, and of course now with COVID, it's it's even worse. Exactly. And so, uh, so so what's happened is is that this this whole look, you and I, we 
you know, we want to give our customers a great big physical hug. They want to, we want them to come out and, and just hug them and love on them and, and see that relationship. But what, what's the big marketing uh, push now is contactless, contactless uh, interfaces, right? And so, and so what we saw, we saw that we were heading into obsolescence with this cultish, this cultish local, um, you know, local, whatever persona. And we were, we were going to be out of business if we didn't sit, if we didn't embrace the fact that people, uh, they, a lot of people, they don't want to get any closer to me than you and I are right now. And, and, and you know, this is plenty good enough. You know, and, with the uh, whole Amazon so, thing, everybody's so so uh, so used to just clicking. Hey, you know what? Here, it's right. here in two days. Um, it's easy. It's more efficient that way. I mean, that I, I like to be as efficient as possible in everything that I do. And you know what? If I can order my chicken, boom. Now, in, in that's the case. Now, how do people get to know their farmer in that way? Because that's the whole thing. Is you know, you you've said it a million times. You you know your dentist, you know your doctor, you know who cuts your hair, but do you know your farmer. And that's probably the most important person that you need to know. So right. what's a, in order for the people to get to know their farmer, in order for people to get to know what they're eating, what would be some good questions for someone to ask um, someone that they're looking to buy from? If it's a model that, you know, if it's, it fits, if it's similar to your model, if not identical. Right. So, yeah. So the, the number one, so you can learn a lot on a website. Uh, for example, there's a there's a large organic brand here in the Shenandoah Valley uh, that's a certified organic brand, and they're using you know factory houses. Uh, so you can go on their you go on their website, and their website uh, it'll say you know meet our farmers. So you can click down through there, and you can meet all their different farmers. And every one of their farmers is standing out in front of a great big confinement factory house. All right. So so all I'm telling people is look be you know, be discerning here. Uh, you, you can, you, you can, you can tell a lot by, you know, by looking at what kind of fix, pictures, what kind of messaging, that sort of thing. Now, for sure, for sure in a way, the number one way is to go visit the farm, go visit, look, look, look for that, what we call that mosaic, where you see the, the spots where the chickens have been. And, Every pastured poultry producer that is that is authentic, uh, you can fly a drone over, or you can go visit, and you can see this mosaic. Uh, we call it the jet stream of these of, of these spots. You know, you've got you've got the, the real green, the real green that's coming back. You know, that's a couple of weeks ago, and you've got the stuff where they've just been, and then you've got the stuff they're going to, and you can see these spots right along. And so that's the most telling thing in, in the pastured poultry movement. And if somebody is like on our website, you can jump on our website and you can see an aerial picture and you can see this, this mosaic, this jet stream, you know, going across the pasture. And if somebody is not willing to share that, do it, show it, then, you know, they're probably not authentic in the pastured, in the pastured poultry space. So that's really number one is that, is that whole, that, that whole movement, that whole movement concept. Okay. Now got another question for you. Over the last few months, there's been um, some of the bigger chicken players have bought up some of these smaller, um, you know, successful pastured operations. 
do you think that that will erode the the quality of pastured chicken or do you think it will help spread the awareness or do you see it as a negative or as a positive you know i right now i don't have a clue on that question i mean my you know my 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 in, into over the years i've you know collaborated with people who um you know, wanted to build an empire <laughs> and it always goes south. You know, this, this is a craft. This is a craft. It's not just, it's not just uh, mechanics. Um, and so, um, so because it's a, it's a people centric, because the people centric uh, model, it's, it's harder to scale with integrity than other things. And, and uh, for sure, some of these, um, some of these big outfits that lack the level of, you know, that, that don't share our values, when they take over a place like this, the tendency is always to, you know, to cheat. Okay, cool. uh, and, and I think, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, um, that's the general uh, way to go. Um, you know, that being said, the fact that that uh, this is being interesting or, 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 or of interest mm -hmm. to some bigger players. I, I, I think we need to, we need to welcome that. We need to embrace it. Um, but there, there've been plenty of small outfits bought up by big outfits that in 10 years, very compromised in their, you know, in, in that's, that's the, that's the, that's the prediction trajectory. But again, you know, I'm not in, I'm not in somebody else's shoes. You know, I, I, um, I have a different, whatever, a different business, a different situation. And uh, if I were in somebody else's shoes, you know, and somebody came along with a great big pocket full of cash, um, I might tend to think, well, man, I sure hope they'll keep this, you know, keep the, the, the integrity up and I'll take the cash and cash out because none of my kids want the farm. And this is an easy way for me to, you know, to, to get out and, and not, lose my shirt as I get out. I, I, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of elements here. So I, I tend to not judge. I tend to not judge. Just let it, let it be. And if it's, if it is, it is, I will tell you this. I'm not scared one bit uh, about a big outfit taking over this market. I know how hard it is. I know what kind of people it takes to make it go. I know what kind of craft it is. And so uh, I am not the least bit concerned about some, you know, big entity, uh, whatever, you know, running, running us small guys out of business. Uh, the the quality you know, out with that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and uh, again, the, the beauty of the local food system is that we, you know, we don't have these long, you know, chains of custody. We don't have these big warehouses. There's a lot of overhead in these big companies. And, um, and, you know, if, if they start actually getting uh, GMO free, GMO free feed uh, from local sources, then, you know, it, it, it just, it just gets harder uh, when you have an industrial mentality. That, that's all I'll say. And it's really hard it's really hard to take a person with an industrial mentality and move that person to a craft mentality. It, it, um, artisanal and commodity, commodity and artisanal are, are like, are like uh, oil and water. They just don't mix very well. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Now, 
got another question for you. The, the, the chickens, okay? Switch directions a little bit because I have a couple that I uh, lined out. The chickens, what do they do for the pasture when, when you're moving them every day in the, in the, the shelters? You know, mm-hmm. we did we did our first batch this year and we uh, came out great as far as, you know, taste wise. And we only lost one chicken the entire time. We got pretty lucky. But we saw what they uh, they did by, you know, they they mess it up and then it grows back. Can you give a little bit of a, um, you know, what I, it does there? I, 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 I'm enjoying watching you struggle with how how you describe how it grows back. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, Ryan, it's it, 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 it grows back. It grows back like a miracle. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it just grows back thick and dark green and healthy and with clovers and different uh, kinds of plants in it. And so, um, yeah, what, what the poultry does to the pasture is one of the most ecologically powerful things uh, that you can imagine. And, um, and so, you know, people who are all into grass-finished beef um, for, because of the bison and the way the herds, herds went uh, back, you know, before the Europeans came, um, often miss the fact that along with those big herds of grazing herbivores were massive flocks of birds, passenger pigeons, prairie chickens, pheasants, all sorts of birds. I mean, uh, Audubon, uh, the, the naturalist Audubon sat under a tree in like 1810 or something. And he, and he said, he wrote in his journal, he said, I couldn't see the sun for three days because of the flock of birds that flew over. I mean, the, the, the birds were, and Native American stories have stuff, you know, where, where birds, passenger pigeons would come in and, and, and uh, uh, roost in a, in a woods and just break every tree in the woods. And they get up in the morning, there's, you know, an inch of manure on the ground and, and all the trees are broken down. I mean, these are stories of, of, of pre-European uh, America that indicated this beautiful symbiosis between the bird and the herbivore. Those two are one of the most beautiful symbiotic uh, relationships in nature. And so everybody who's interested in grass-finished beef needs to understand we need, you also need to move to pastured poultry, not organic, not organic, because most of the organic is just raising a confinement chicken house, but pastured chickens, the green material is the secret to the, to the pasture renovation, to the nutritional profile and to the animal welfare aspects of that of that bird and that's where we need to move it's crazy because we've only been here a year we only ran one batch of birds when we got here the farm it, it was okay as far as the soil and as far as the grasses but that's the only spots on the farm where we actually have clover growing now which it just boggles my mind it's just it's just different yeah it's like it's like magic it's like it's like pouring elixir like pouring a, a an elixir on your land it's it's incredible one of the also one of the things too is the the taste of it it's it's just it tastes like just rich juicy chicken i mean we roast them in the oven and they just come out i mean explain to that a little bit i don't know if you can or if there's <laughs> well, well yeah it's it's a it's just a, a great point that um that the mineral the mineral and nutritional profile of of meat is reflected in its taste mm-hmm. and one of the problems in america today is we have as we have gone to confinement and everything and off of pasture for everything 
uh, all of our meats and eggs have become extremely bland. Mm -hmm. And that's why we, that's why we have a world of sauces and batters and all sorts of things is to, to spice up and to, to give meat some taste. And I'm sure Ryan, you saw when you, when you cooked your chicken, I mean, we can cook this chicken and enjoy eating it without anything. I without mean, anything. without any salt, no pepper, no, 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 nothing because it actually has a taste. And so the blandness, blandness uh, is indicative of, of, of vapid, wimpy, uh, you know, um, uh, non-exciting, non-exciting production models. When you get an exciting production model, it's going to wake up the taste profile of that, uh, of that uh, animal protein, whether it's chicken, beef, or pork, or whatever it is. I, I never used to like, you know, the chicken breast because it just didn't taste like anything to me just from the grocery store. This one, I love. It's one of my favorite things to eat. And it's just yeah. different. But yeah. one of the last questions I have for you, Joel, in uh, this uh, post or still current COVID world that we're in here, um, a lot of people have, for the first time in their lives, myself included, uh, heard the word food shortages in the United States. And you know, who knows what moving forward, there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty in the air. Um, you know, we had this storm hit, you know, to where it's getting to like negative three tonight and here in East Texas and that never happens. Everybody runs to their grocery store and the shelves are emptied. And, you know, what what is it that the smaller farms, your farm can do that the bigger farms, you know, or the, the grocery stores can't do by supplying the food in a, in a more timely fashion? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, for, for one thing, we, there are just more of us. Uh, and, and so, so just, just, if you thought big picture, if you think big picture, um, the truth is that a, a lot more nodes, a lot more participants, uh, coming in, uh, just creates a, a, a diversified, a broader, a broader base. It's just a broader base because you've got more, you know, more participants. So, so, you know, that's, that's one thing. But the, the second thing is, that our, our, our chain of custody is very short. And so we can respond, we can respond to markets way, way faster than the industry can because, um, because, our, because we're not shipping across the, you know, we're not shipping to big processing facilities and bringing them back and inventorying warehouses and things like that. We, we can actually uh, fluctuate. And I would say the third thing that's really critical right now is that when we process chickens, there's, you know, maybe 10 or 20 of us, you know, in, in the processing facility, there aren't 5,000 in a processing facility. And, uh, and, and that in and of itself uh, create, you know, it, it, it democratizes and decentralizes. It spreads things out as opposed to concentrating them. And if there's one thing that, that, that it seems like you know that we've heard over and over about COVID. It's it's distance. It's it's to spread out. And so a food system that is scattered across the landscape, as opposed to concentrated in single great big uh, empires, that is necessarily going to be more resilient in unsettled times. I mean, it's it's crazy to hear. You know, crazy to talk about food shortages in this day and age. But I think it's something that we all have to prepare for. And, you know, I think people need to start buying freezers. You know, I mean, I think that 
you yeah. know, for a while, the big box stores were when it first hit, nobody had freezers because, right. you know, do you see a, a shift in mentality to where people might start buying from in bulk from you or from others, other farmers? Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, the, the idea of home storage of, of your domestic, you know, your domestic larder um, uh, and is, is, I think, really acute. It's all part of the current urban exodus. It's all part of self-reliance. Uh, and, and so, uh, getting freezers, learning how to can, I mean, if you try to buy canning lids right now, you can't buy canning lids. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, even seeds are in short supply. This whole thing has pushed people back to a home centric thought pattern. Not everybody, but a lot of people for the first time in their lives are really looking at, at their domicile as a, as, as a haven, as opposed to a pit stop in life. Uh, we have spent now generations in our culture um, developing the home as simply a pit stop and everything that happens important in life happens outside. And I'm suggesting that what COVID has done, it has reawakened the notion that home is actually not the pit stop. It's, it's the race. <laughs> It's actually it's actually what's going on. It's where the most important things in life happen, and so so people are beginning to realize. Ooh, I need to invest in this in, in this 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 um, this bunker, this dock, this haven uh, for for all sorts of secure reasons. Uh, and and so I, I'm if there's one really great positive thing that's come out of this, it is a brand new awareness of home centricity as the as the as the launch pad for life as opposed to home centricity being um a an inconvenient pit stop between all the important things in life wow do you see a lot more people buying in bulk from you or do you guys sell in bulk uh, yes absolutely uh, buying in bulk yes i mean we give a nice price break for buying in bulk um you know if you buy chick 10 chickens at a time you get a nice big price break so um, that's yeah, a good way for people to save money if yeah. they're if they're worried about yeah, the price as well. Yeah, yeah. Get 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 whole chickens, uh, buy in bulk, all, all of those things. Uh, so you use your own kitchen to to prepare, process, package, and preserve food. Um, and so you don't you don't ship that out to a, a middleman. Um, yeah, all of that home centricity is a way to save you know, to save price. You said something there too, buying whole chickens, because, you know, a lot of people like the boneless, skinless breast. Now with that, there's a lot more labor. There's a lot more, you know, especially for smaller farmers, it, that jacks the price way up to where, you know, in some cases, I know at least for us, we would have to sell boneless, skinless breast at almost the same price, if not more than a whole chicken. So do you, yeah. do you see people, you know, buying and, and is it better for people to buy whole chickens rather than piecemeal here and there? Listen, Ryan, right now, right now, you can buy a whole chicken from us cheaper per pound than boneless, skinless breasts at Walmart. So, oh, wow. so at, yeah, at Walmart. So if, if you buy boneless, skinless breasts at Walmart, you're going to pay more per pound than you are buying a whole chicken from us. Okay. So, so this, this speaks to the price issue. Wow. So if, if you, if you, if you will invest, I mean, you've already got a chick kitchen, you've already got knives, you've already got cutting boards. 
All right. You probably even have a little, you know, sealy dealy, uh, baggy packagey sealy dealy. Right. And so, and so, uh, you've already invested in all that. Okay. So, uh, you can still watch your TV show while you kind of cut up some chickens and, and you can, you can process them yourselves. You can go ahead and cut them up, but yeah, for sure. Um, a whole chicken is, is way, way, way cheaper because, uh, you don't have all that labor involved in, in, uh, dicing it up so let, let me let me I, I just want to make sure i heard you correctly you can buy a whole poly face raised chicken cheaper per pound than you can boneless skinless breasts at walmart that's correct you got and it bingo th that 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 right there just speaks to nobody should be going to walmart anymore there's no excuse for it i mean that's that that almost boggles my mind I, I that right there should I think you're going to get a million phone calls and every person around here is going, Hey, can you compete with this Walmart price of boneless skinless, you know, chicken that I think is a, a statement there that will change a lot of people's minds. Yeah. But I look boneless skinless chicken at Walmart is, is what is you know, it's like, it's like four twenty nine or something like that. I mean, it's not nearly as expensive as our boneless skinless breast. Okay. But, but I, I didn't say, I didn't say we could sell boneless skinless breast for that. I said our whole chicken is cheaper per pound than the boneless skinless breast at walmart yeah and so most people don't even know how to cook a whole chicken that's the thing that people yeah. are so disconnected from their food i mean you can just right. cook the whole chicken in the, in the oven 350 in an hour and 20 minutes it's done and you can that's do right. it however you like wow i mean that i think that what you said right there and how the prices that you gave i think makes people go you know what, I'm going to look into this more. It's not just some, you know, it's not something that I can do when I have extra money or when I have, you know, right. disposable income. This is something that I can eat on a consistent, you know, on a consistent basis. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Joel, I'm, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I got one more thing. You uh, are an author and um, you've wrote some of the best books that I've read. I think I've read just about all of them. And the newest one that you did is this one right here, Polyface Designs. Speak a little bit about this. How did you come, come up with this book? How, how did you, you know, how did you put this out? Because I know that you guys sold out in like two days, the first batch that you did, because I had to wait a little bit to get the ones that we ordered. Well, uh, Ryan, what we really needed, we, we really wanted a, um, a jazzy way to, to lift weights. And so that, <laughs> that, that book weighs five pounds. Uh, so if you don't, if you don't want to read it, you can lift weights with it. Um, so, so that book grew out of, four, I'm not the brains of that book. Uh, one of our former apprentices, Chris Slattery was a, a Cracker Jack uh, a mechanical engineer. He did his, you know, apprenticeship here. And uh, he, 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 I didn't know this was going on when he was here several years ago, but he was he was digesting every single design and thing that we did around here, and you know people would come into the store, they'd come and visit the farm. Well, do you you know do you have a, do you have a, a blueprints of this, whatever? And nah, you know shucks, I you know look, I, I can't read a blueprint, I can't draw a stick, man, I have no artistic capacity at all. And so you know I'd take pictures. I said, well, there's a picture of it, you know, go you know do it with a picture. Well, no, I need I need to know more than that, okay? And so anyway. Uh, a couple of years ago, Chris approached me. He said, "Look, you know, could we could we do a, a, a diagram 
on the on the broiler shelter. That was the most popular, you know, the most popular thing that people wanted to build. And um, I said, well, Chris, yeah, if you want to do this, that'd be great. But let's not do the broiler shelter only. Let's do the, the Millennium Feathernet and the Eggmobiles and the Cowshade and, the, you know, all this. And so um, and so he, he ran with that. We, we created a we didn't do everything. We couldn't get it all in a book. So we picked it. We took picked the best things and we made a list. And uh, he did the drawings. I did the text, and um, and it's 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 a, I mean you know it's a magnificent volume. I, I can't take credit for it. I mean I, um, it's just, it, it, I mean look, it's my lifetime. It, it's our families more than me. It's our whole families. Um, you know more than half a century of 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 innovation and creativity trying to create mobile, innovative structures uh, condensed in one volume, one book. And the, the diagrams are fantastic. Uh, even children like to look at the pictures, read them. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it, it, gives, it gives all the specifications uh, of all of our stuff. Yeah, how to build, it's, yeah. And, and the, the reviews, the feedback we've gotten have just almost been, in tears uh, it's just been fantastic to to em empower people to be able to feel yes i can do this that's pretty cool it's helped me in a bunch of different ways already i mean one of the things that we're, we're working on building this next year is something at least similar to this right here the millennium feather net and i can tell you right now the the broiler shelters i'm going to redesign mine because we did a eight by eight you know a little bit smaller because just the mm -hmm. lumber and everything right. And uh, use two by fours, and that—that's yeah, not heavy, heavy. too heavy, too heavy. So yeah. we're gonna go through that. I mean, this saves. This is gonna save me a ton of time, ton of effort. And what we're doing actually is because we got two of them. One of them's for me, and that's gonna be this one right here because it's the one that is autographed by Joel, which is pretty cool. But this one here, we're gonna give away to one of our subscribers. And the way that you do this, the way you get entered into this is to go on to our Instagram and you'll see a picture of us holding up the books. Go on there and tell us what you want to build, you know, what, what in here you want to build because there's a million things in here that you can build or a variation of them. And uh, we're going to do a drawing on, uh, it's going to be Monday the 22nd and you guys can get your own polyface designs. Now, Joel, what happens if the people that don't win, because we only have so many here. How can they get the book? Well, the easiest way to get it is through our gift, gift shop, which is uh, the Polyface, Polyface gift shop. It's on our website. You okay. can just go there and you can order it directly through our, our gift shop. Okay. And then if, for the people that are looking for your chicken, that are looking for your beef, your pork, your, your I don't know if you're shipping eggs, but for the people yeah. that are looking for, uh, yeah, it's too hard, um, <laughs> that are looking for your products, how do yeah. they get it? Okay. If they're local, they can go. How, if they're local, how do they get it? And then if they're farther oh, away, how do uh, they get it? Yeah, if you're if they're if you're local, come out to the farm store. Uh, we've got you know the farm store here, and you can get you know the full variety uh, of everything. Uh, if you're within four hours, check out one of our drop points. We have we have 31 urban urban neighborhood drop points that we service. It's about you know 5,000 families, so we we deliver monthly to them. Uh, starting, we'll be starting here at the end of February. So we're, you know, we're two weeks out from, from restarting that for the spring. And then if you live somewhere else in the country, 
um, and, and you've never tried this and you just want to try it. You know, one, of, one of the neatest things that's happened as we've started shipping is that, that people say, well, look, this is easy. I don't have time to find a farmer right now. I'm just, I just want to try this. They try it. Next thing you know, they're looking around their community. All right, who else has this kind of stuff? We lose them as a customer, but we introduce them to the concept of authentic food. That's what we're trying to do here. And when you taste it, when you, when you, you know, step, when you put your toe in that water of authentic food, it's like, you know, your brain cells expand or something. And you say, well, I gotta have this food. And, uh, but I don't want to pay the shipping costs. So let's see if I can find somebody in the community. And that's, that's, that's really exciting for us to be able to be a part of helping people find their local source, even though they might start with us for one or two orders, then they, then they can find their local source. You so, said uh, something yeah. there that, uh, that, that interests me, actually. You said that order from you to try it because I view you, most people view you guys as the gold standard for, you know, real food. You know, the, I've been to your farm. I've, uh, I got a chance to work with Daniel for the whole day. That was really, really cool. Got uh, to learn a lot of things there, but you, you guys, the quality, the, the, the time that you guys take bar none and you it reflects in your, your products, your chicken, your beef. If people just even tried it and, and set that as the barometer to what, you know, they get from somebody else more local to them, they can compare and see, you know, taste wise, like you were saying, the nutritional value of the pasture has a direct relationship to the beef or to the, the meat. Mm -hmm. Then they can tell, okay, this guy's for real or this guy is. Eh. Yeah, right. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, thanks for the plug. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, uh, that's a, that's a fair that that's a fair assessment because yes, Ryan, as you know, there is there is a tremendous amount of variation of of care out here in this you know in this space, and um, and you know, what we want is we want we want really good farmers to be successful and the bad farmers to either get better or or get out <laughs> one or one or t'other yeah. So awesome, Joel. Thank you so much for being on here. And I just really want to say thank you for being an inspiration to me and so many others. I mean, you are the number one reason why I moved from Southern California out here to East Texas with my fiance. And we just, we love it. We got here a week before the, the lockdowns hit and, you know, to, to be eating our own food, to be doing our own thing, you know, being, it's just, it's 100% because of you. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. Well, thank you, Ryan. You're very just and you're welcome and uh we're just we just love it when people people take the reins of their own destiny and 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 go do stuff it's really it's really cool well joel we'd love to have you on again if we can we talked about doing maybe uh you know maybe we could do a thing on pork and beef and so on mm -hmm. um but again thank you so much for being you know coming on here and uh talking a little bit about the database and more explain to people why you know Look at pastured chicken and the whole Wal the whole price thing in comparison with Walmart thing. That I think is going to be a real game changer just across the board. Great, thank you, Ryan. Stay Thanks. warm. <laughs>